Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists, and access more great content. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Body Track Academy podcast. My name is Caitlin. You might have heard me on the podcast before talking about all things oncology, um, but today we're going to be—I'm going to be talking about my other area of interest and expertise, which is women's health, and more specifically, we're going to be talking about. Um, some ways to help upskill in areas of women's health. This is an area that we find sometimes practitioners have a little bit less confidence in. It can be hard to find good quality information and resources out there to inform evidence-based practice, um, but we're wanting to help uh, identify what and where um, to confidently manage the many conditions that fall under the women's health bracket. Um, really giving you the confidence that you need to be able to really identify the correct management approach regardless if they're a women's health patient or whether they're a patient you're seeing for another condition and they have a comorbid women's health condition. It's, it's really quite common and we don't always recognise or understand our role in actually managing the conditions ourselves. I think sometimes we think that it can be the responsibility of another or a physio or another allied health profession, but we can have a really profound role and influence on a lot of different women's health conditions. So today what we're going to go through is a little bit of um, an understanding about different pathways to upskill in women's health, not only formally but also informally as well. And we're going to talk through the different conditions and some really great resources that we have found um, that have really helped us and hopefully will help you as well. So everyone, I'm actually lucky enough um, to be joined by one of BodyTrack's um, newest practitioners um, with me today as well. So I have um, Shasana Jones with me. Welcome, Shoss. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's okay. Um, so I brought you on, Shoss, because you are actually another of our women's health specialists and are doing your master's in women's health. So I'd love for you to be able to tell us a little bit more about that. That's one of the really great formal pathways to upskill a little bit more for people who have a bit more of a keen interest in women's health. Um, so Shoss, tell me a little bit about how you came to study a women's health master's. Um, so I guess initially I found myself um, using resources such as the Women's Health Collective, um, online resources from ESSA and their free podcasts. Um, and I use these tools to develop my understanding in women's health conditions. Um, and I developed a really keen interest in just learning more in this area. Um, I started the Women's Health Masters just to get a bit more of an understanding about um, more like clinical exercise prescription for conditions um, that occur during the postpartum period and also breastfeeding. Um, and I just wanted to really develop my understanding in what women go through during this period and then what I can do to facilitate their return to exercise safely. So Shoss, was your goal to understand a little bit more about research or were you hoping to get a little bit more kind of just understanding holistically about all women's health conditions? What was your, what was your thinking there? 
Yeah, so I guess I wanted to get a bit more of an understanding about um, particularly things during pregnancy. So the research, um, there's a lot of guidelines in regards to safely returning to exercise postpartum, um, but probably not in regards to um, complications that occur um, during the postpartum period. And um, I wanted to develop my understanding and how to um, prescribe exercise to women that may have had complications during this period, um, just to make sure that I'm giving them the best quality of care possible. Great. So yeah. you're really hoping to that the research that you're learning about is just going to really give you a good platform kind of moving forward, giving yeah. the best evidence base, which is which is great because it can be hard to filter through. There's a lot of great research coming out, but it can be hard to filter through what's relevant, what's good and what's applicable as well because it's, it can be a trickier area, especially like managing pelvic floor um, mm. conditions as well. It's not as always transparent from a, reading a paper about how to actually then apply that as well. Um, is your interest in potentially doing some more research in that area? Is that maybe why you, you picked the, the master's as well? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I would love to do some more research. I'm looking at maybe doing research in um, like ovarian cancer or endometriosis. So they're two areas of mine that I would love to um, just get a little bit more uh, research regarding exercise prescription and managing um, those conditions. Um, so yeah, I would definitely like to look at more of the research side of things. Um, but yeah, at the moment, just all things women's health, learning a little bit more in regards to the research and the literature that we have currently available. Great. Just really building your library. Yeah. That's fantastic. And building our library as well, which is always <laughs> really good. Um, so Shoss, tell us about the structure of the course. So mm. give me a comparison between say the grad cert, because sometimes doing a grad cert can be a good way to just pick a few different units that um, you might be interested in, always, isn't always a bit, as big of a commitment as the as the master's. So tell me mm. the difference between the grad cert and the master's in terms of the structure. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, you can choose to do it full time, um, which is two subjects. Um, the main difference is that the master's you get to do a research project, which is obviously something that I'm very interested in. Um, so yeah, just being able to do that research is really cool. Um, the other difference is, uh, that you get to do more subjects, obviously. So, um, when I had a look at the course outline, there are a few that I definitely wanted to do. So things like postnatal care, um, menopause, um, childhood conditions and, um, yeah, also managing things like REDS and, um, energy deficiency in sport. Um, so they were a few areas that stood out to me. Um, and in order to do all of those, it was the master's course. But I mean, if you only had an interest in a few areas, you could definitely choose to do less subjects and then finish that way. Yeah. That's great. So within a unit, so say we picked menopause as a unit. Mm. Uh, are you are you doing menopause in the Not course? this no? semester, okay. but yeah, um, I will be doing it yeah. next semester. What, yeah. what units are you doing at the moment? Um, so at the moment I'm doing postnatal care mm -hmm. um, of the mother and the baby. Great. Yeah. So with that unit, does it kind of follow the structure of your building an understanding of um, postnatal conditions, getting a bit of an understanding of the research mm -hmm. and then you do like an assessment? What does the structure of the unit follow? Yeah, yeah. So um, they, it's broken up into modules. So um, you go through all things postnatal care um, and then what you do is you do quizzes um, at the end of each module just to make sure that you're understanding everything um, and then you get to put it into practice with assessment pieces. So um, for this subject we got I got to look at um, exercise during breastfeeding and the impacts that that can have for the mother. So obviously there's an increased calcium requirement while breastfeeding and also energy requirements. So it's something to be cautious of if you have someone who's really keen to get back to exercise, but maybe isn't fueling efficiently for that um, exercise session 
or as maybe, um, you know, someone who's more likely to have a lower bone mineral density. Um, and I guess we do know with exercise um, and in, during the postnatal period that there is a decrease in um, bone mineral density, which is normal, normally returns back to normal post um, breastfeeding, but it's just a consideration to be aware of. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it can be really hard because there's so many things to be cognizant of. And quite commonly, any practitioner will come along, um, will come um, uh, will have a patient who maybe is postpartum. They might not be acute postpartum, but in, even in 12 months postpartum, they might be still breastfeeding. And there are definitely additional considerations there. So we'll talk a bit later in the podcast about some quick, easy um, resources that you can um, access to find more information about this. But um, it's great to hear, Shoss, that really there is this little bit more kind of uh, in-depth study option that you can can choose. Mm. Uh, Is it exercise orientated or is it more broad or? Um, No, it's definitely not exercise orientated, but I guess the flexibility of the course is that you get to adapt the assignment to be um, more suited to you. So there's a lot of other um, health professionals out there that join the course, whether it's physiotherapists, um, dietitians, it can be nurses, um, it could be GPs. Um, so you adapt the assignment um, to be suited to you. So I'm obviously looking at um, all things exercise related um, and that gives me the flexibility to yeah, adapt it to me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. And and so I don't think I asked you, but where is that one based? Um, so it's based in Sydney. It's all online, um, which is good. Um, there's actually no lectures. It's all learning modules. So it is really self-directed learning. Um, and I suppose if you have an interest in it, it's really easy to do. But if you don't, it's, it's definitely hard to read through, you know, 40 pages of you know, yeah. just evidence <laughs> um, and history as well. So that's it. Yeah. And how long will it take Shoss to do the masters? Yeah. So um, as I said before, um, full time is two units. Um, normally it's one year, three trimesters. Um, but instead, I've decided to um, do one year, one semester, so that I can have a whole semester dedicated to the research project. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess uh, fundamentally, like it is, it is a big commitment as, as yes. we said, it, it's, it's a great, it's great if you, this is really your big area of interest, mm. um, women's health. Uh, so I guess what we will touch on now is some ways to upskill a little bit more informally. So without having to do a big course, cause there's so much great stuff out there and with the nature of um, COVID and things being online a little bit more, it's actually been quite favourable for online courses and resources as well. Um, I know for myself, I didn't do a formal course um, to upskill over time. I just pursued as many courses and resources as I could, knowing that I wanted to give the best possible outcomes for the patients that I was seeing in the in the women's health space. So Shoss and I have built up a bit of a plethora of, of resources that we use quite regularly and would love to be able to share with you. Mm. And Shoss touched on those um, briefly as well. So things like the Women's Health Collective is an excellent, excellent online group and they have courses covering virtually all women's health conditions. They uh, continue to add more, which is amazing. The unique um, nature of them is that they're all based on, well, they're all targeted to exercise and the specific women's health conditions. So we're going to talk a little bit more about each kind, some of the more common women's health conditions and where 
or what we would recommend specifically for each of those. And we'll talk about which ones have good women's health collective courses as well, because they're a really great way to not only upskill, but also increase your CPD points as mm. well. We're nearly four <laughs> months into the year. So start racking up your CPD points is a good opportunity. Um, and they're really quite affordable as well, yeah. which is which is great. Um, we'll talk about some free resources as well, because that can always be a little bit more favorable and, yeah. and easy to access as well. So one of those actually or a really good place to start if you're really unsure about women's health is actually the Exercise Right ebook. Um, so that one was released quite recently. Um, Shoss, do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, so I guess um, it goes through just every kind of woman's health condition and how um, exercise influences um, that condition and also guidelines regarding exercise prescription in general. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. a great resource. Yeah, it's more of a – I think it's directed to be a patient resource as well, but it's a great way to just – build your awareness of some of the different conditions as, as well. Um, another great free resource is actually Jean Hale's website. Um, so the Jean Hale's website um, is for not only patients but also practitioners across any health profession as well. And they have some really, really great blogs, um, evidence-based information, um, uh, webinars and podcasts as well. I've done quite a lot of their webinars um, and they're really really fantastic um, not necessarily always exercise specific but really good to build your understanding of all the factors that can contribute so things that might need to be considered um, say for example for endometriosis considerations for um, nutrition considerations for physiotherapy um, support from other allied health professionals as well so it just helps really build your understanding and, and awareness more than anything yeah. um, the other new one that we have seen emerge in the last I think it's only in the last year or so is the Australian Institute of um, sport now actually has some free modules as well. Um, I've done a couple of those and they're really great and really great, if, especially if you're working with female athletes. Um, for example, there's a really fantastic one about breast health and sports bra fitting, which um, mm. was really great. And they have a, an amazing resource that you can access to actually determine what kind of sports bra is going to be right for the type of exercise that you or the patient is doing. So it gives you a little bit more confidence about actually, because sometimes we get questions about that. Yeah. Is my bra giving me enough support or what kind of sports bra should I be wearing for my sessions? And you can have a little bit more confidence in being able to say, well, maybe try this style. So that's another really great resource there yeah. as well. Um, so now we'll go through a few of the major women's health conditions and talk a little bit more specifically about some of the resources that are available. Um, we're going to start talking about one of the really common ones and um, timely as well. March was Endometriosis Awareness Month. Um, it is quite a common women's health condition. Fortunately, we're learning more and more about endometriosis and exercise and endometriosis and we know that it affects one in nine women, so it's it's quite common and it is common as well for women to be undiagnosed with endometriosis for quite a long time. Mm. Um, so knowing the things that um, are common amongst endo and what contribution exercise can make is quite, quite helpful. Um, Quendo is an amazing resource that was actually formed in Queensland or in Brisbane. Um, once again, it's a patient resource as well as its practitioner resource. Great blogs, 
great website, great directory for a lot of different um, lifestyle interventions. But they also have an app as well. And I find in my clinical practice that recommending patients to download the app is a great way for them to actually be able to record and monitor symptoms. And then that way I can check in um, routinely with the patient as well and see if there's any correlation between the timing of their exercise or the style of the exercise that we've prescribed and any change in symptoms. It's a really great resource for that, but also for the patient to actually um, have a recording of how their symptoms may have changed over time, we can then kind of reflect on a larger scale about whether there's been an improvement in their symptoms with exercise over time or whether there needs to be further considerations. Um, have you used the Quendo app before, Shaws? Yes, yeah. yes, I have. Um, it's a very good app, yeah, for monitoring symptoms, but I think as well it's it's good because sometimes you ask a client, how are you feeling today? Um, and they can't always record, um, you know, the symptoms of their experience over the last week. So I think it is a great um, way for them to just be like, oh, actually, yeah, I did have pain, you know, two days ago. Mm. And then that can just help to inform what kind of exercise you're going to do um, because maybe you might, you know, tone it down or you might increase it depending how they're feeling and how the symptoms are going. Yeah. yeah. So continuing on... On the trend of um, pelvic disorders, so well, um, women's health disorders. So PCOS is another really common one that we're seeing a lot more of, and particularly seeing a lot more um, evidence about the influence of the positive influence of exercise. So PCOS is one of the most well, is the most common endocrine yeah. disorder in in females. It affects um, six to eighteen percent of of women, but seventy percent of women with PCOS are actually undiagnosed. So it's, it's common, it's not always easily recognised, but understanding the syndrome can be quite helpful. Jean Hales has some really good information on, on PCOS and what to, to look for. Um, this, the Women's Health Collective has an absolutely fantastic webinar on this as well and really specifically about the benefits of exercise for managing insulin resistance, which is a common feature, well, which is a big feature of PCOS, um, and balancing or managing hormonal um, disruption as well. Um, another area of, of women's health that sometimes people don't feel as com confident with is pelvic floor dysfunction. And that covers quite a broad range of conditions, not just say, pelvic floor weakness or incontinence. Um, it actually covers overactivity of the pelvic floor, prolapse. Um, and so it can be quite tricky in this space if that's something that you're super confident with. Pairing with a women's health physio is a really, really great place to start if you're starting to see more women with um, or you're noticing women with a pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, there's some really, really great resources out there to help upskill yourself. One of those being the Pelvic Floor First website. Um, another one, patient and practitioner <laughs> friendly. So you can always direct your patients to that as well if they're wanting to understand a little bit more about the pelvic floor. Um, Sue Croft has, she's the big name in, yeah. in pelvic floor. Um, she has um, a blog, she has some books as well. Um, and then another way that I've really built up a lot of knowledge is actually by listening to the Pelvic Health Podcast by Laurie Fauna. She's also based in Brisbane and does amazing, amazing work. Um, and she talks about a lot of different topics. It's a little bit more um, physio-based, but it's very applicable to us um, as well. And 
at Body Track, actually, we're lucky. Shoss is actually building a pelvic floor um, module or a pelvic floor dysfunction module at the moment to help upskill our practitioners. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that one, Shoss? Yeah, so I guess um, pelvic floor dysfunction, having a look at it as a whole um, and then breaking it up into um, other concerns that we see. So whether it's pelvic floor weakness um, or even um, pelvic floor overactivity um, and really just having a look at how you distinguish between the two and then what you do in regards to exercise. So um, obviously the exercise prescription for um those two types of pelvic floor um, is going to be completely different. But um, just having a look at um, overall the whole um, dysfunction of the pelvic floor first and then having a look at further into those um, like conditions or things that we see with um, pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really our responsibility to be not only aware but also um, proactive with management because we know that exercise can be really, really helpful um, for the pelvic floor, especially targeted exercise. We've touched on this briefly on the Body Track Academy, um, but we also know that exercise can hinder or worsen pelvic floor dysfunctions, mm. particularly prolapse. Um, and this is a quite a common consideration or a common circumstance might be a woman with um, low bone health or osteoporosis or osteopenia. So we start to introduce impact loading. We haven't screened for the pelvic floor all of a sudden she's doing a lot of impact-based loading. We're trying to really up her bone density. Um, but she's also then starting to notice an increase in pelvic heaviness or increase in incontinence and different things. So being aware of what to look for as signs and symptoms, but also how to be proactive and mm. preventative really does mean that we're doing our, our job in being not only targeting the condition that the patient needs but holistically their whole lifestyle as well because it can mean that they're then able to comfortably pick up their grandkids without issues as well they're better able to tolerate activities of daily living as well so yeah. taking responsibility <laughs> I think is, that really yeah. highlights as well the importance of working with a women's health physio mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and just really getting them to do that thorough um, examination um, because sometimes actually you might think that you're working on helping them increase their pelvic floor but it's actually not what they need yeah. um, so I think that's where you work really well with a pelvic health um, physio yeah. and yeah. it can be tricky to know as you get a little bit more experience you can start to know what you what is what you can safely do within the scope of practice we are able to prescribe pelvic floor strengthening that is definitely within our scope of practice but it is not within our scope to do a pelvic floor assessment and always within doubt I just mm. refer on to a women's health or a pelvic health physio because they are able to do a very detailed assessment it doesn't have to be internal if the patient is not keen for yeah. that um, and they really can determine what specifically is needed for that individual because it isn't always as simple as yeah let's just do some strengthening exercises for the pelvic floor it, sometimes we need a bit of variation with the amount of, of of the hold or the duration of the hold or they maybe actually need to do pelvic floor relaxation so really that's the only way to truly know is to have a pelvic floor um, screen done by the by pelvic floor physio. Yeah. Um, moving on to pregnancy. So yes. pre-postpartum, <laughs> now Shoss, this is fresh in your mind. Um, there's a lot of great in resources out there. There's a lot of mm. overwhelming information. I think commonly what happens is we'll get patients coming in prenatally and they're just like, there's so much. I've been yeah. told so much by other people. I tried to look things up and there's just been way too much information. It's all different. Um, so directing them in the direction of some good free resources can be a great way to really 
give them an, an advantage and give them the confidence with exercise. Um, in the last few years, the exercise, exercise and Sports Science Australia combined with Sports Medicine Australia actually produced physical activity guidelines. Um, you can access that through the ESSA website um, and you can pass it on to a patient. It gives a lot of great information about not only considerations for exercise, um, but also uh just really building their knowledge of why exercise is is important in the um, in the prenatal period. Um, they also have, which is great for practitioners, um, a pel um, physical activity screening assessment for women in the prenatal phase as well, which is really really great. It's an easy tool for you to be able to do and just get a bit of a baseline understanding. Um, so there are also some considerations during the prenatal period with, with exercise, one of those being gestational diabetes. And that's something that we're seeing a little bit more commonly. Um, there, you can actually do a module or a course through the National Diabetes Services Scheme um, in pre-pregnancy planning and care. I found it's a great one to get a little bit more of an understanding about what gestational diabetes is and the management and what... Um, uh, resources and access um, uh, women have as well to support them because um, it can be quite an overwhelming thing to be diagnosed with gestational diabetes. There's really good evidence for exercise in the management and reducing the risk of the long-term risk of type 2 diabetes postpartum. Um, but that can be a great place to start for yourself if that's something that you're seeing a little bit more of. Um, Moving on to postpartum, so Shost, you talked a little bit about returning to exercise postpartum and, and breastfeeding and what considerations that has for returning to exercise as well. Um, is there any other resources that you've come across for postpartum? Um, I, I did complete um, a course through um, Studio Pilates oh, yeah. um, in regards to Pilates um, in the postpartum period. Um, but other than that, I think um, all of the really good resources, um, you know, just reading and understanding a little bit more of the mm. literature and what they go through and just having an understanding um, of, you know, what a, a typical woman uh, goes through. So um, and then things that they might experience. So like, you know, um, tears and, and other complications. I think that's really important because um, sometimes, you know, they're going through so much and they don't really want to open up and be like, this mm -hmm. is what I've experienced. I had a third degree tear. And, and so sometimes it's really important just to understand on a whole and what you're working on. But I think also um, another big thing is also um, postnatal depression um, mm. and really the influence that we can have there um, in regards to exercise but also just helping um, increase mood and just make uplifting them a little bit more and, yeah. and really having a good um, impact there in their lives and um, yeah I think that's really important yeah. too. Yeah and that's yeah. a really great point Shoss and there's actually a website called Panda um, another one great free patient <laughs> practitioner resources I'm going to keep saying that probably a million times um, and really directing them in the direction of the right helpline as mm. well. Like at the very minimum, you can always direct people to, to Lifeline, but they have a helpline as well that people can contact and talk through because it's, it's something that a lot of women go through postpartum mm. and can be really hard and they feel a lot of guilt and um, don't really know where to start or where to go. And so supporting them in the right direction, even if it's not like, obviously we can't provide full psychology services. Yeah. So um, sending them in the right direction 
uh, direction to get the psychological support that they need is is really helpful. Um, and what you touched on as well, Shoss, was was great about making sure that you're aware of did they have a third degree tear. So as an as a complete example, um, but that because that will influence when and what kind of exercise is suitable for them to return to postpartum. The Key cutoff really is return is it's typically safe to return to exercise about six weeks postpartum, but that will depend on the nature of the birth, mm. whether there was any complications, whether there's any ongoing complications, um, and how their recovery was, as well as their readiness to return to exercise as well. They're quite often taking on they're quite, as new mums, they're taking on a whole new plethora of responsibilities and challenges, and they're fatigued and they're tired, and adding exercise a lot of exercise to their um, schedule might just not be the quite right starting point. So lots of things to consider there. Um, it's really important if you're seeing a patient postpartum to do an initial screen, really screening for the type of birth they had, whether there was any complications, whether they've yet seen a pelvic floor physio, um, whether they've had an assessment of rectus, diastasis as well, mm. so that abdominal separation, or of their pelvic floor. Those are really key places to start. Mm. Um, if you're needing to upskill a little bit in understanding how to assess um, diastasis recti, or that abdominal separation or even pelvic floor, the Women's Health Collective has a course for that one as well. And it's a, I found it was a great place to yeah. start. Um, and then in terms of guiding your return to exercise, um, I've actually found the return to running guidelines produced by Tom Goom, um, Grainia Donnelly and Emma Blank, I think it is. Um, I'll attach that to the show notes. It's a PDF that outlines what considerations there are for the postpartum period, what key objective measures you need to evaluate as well before it's safe to return to running, um, and then education points to provide your patients as well um, in the return to running phase. Because as Shaw said, there's a consideration for if they're still breastfeeding and the impact on, on bone density as well, making sure they're getting enough sleep and energy in. Um, so that's a really amazing resource. And even if they're not aiming to return to running, I find it is help to, helpful to still help guide people with a return to exercise as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, other women's health conditions. So REDS or RED S. Yes. <laughs> now, are you doing that unit in your course, Shaw? So was that a unit? Yes. Or? Yeah. yeah. So I've yeah. actually already completed that unit. Um, very interesting yeah, it's, it's um, continuously growing the research on that mm. um, and the impact that the menstrual cycle actually has on, on your training yeah. um, and the exercises that you should be doing and also the load that you should be doing throughout the menstrual cycle. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and formerly known as the female athlete triad, if yes. you're more familiar <laughs> with that one. Um, there is a screening tool that you can use and also has just a great kind of... Um, a guidance approach to supporting someone who is experiencing relative energy deficiency syndrome and that is actually the red s cat screening tool or clinical assessment screening tool um, they have a risk assessment model so you can um, determine the level of risk that your in your um, patient or individual is at um, some treatment guidelines that they should be following and then also it has a little bit of a a little bit of guidance about uh, what the criteria are for return to exercise as well for someone who has experienced um, red S. And it 
typically is always in conjunction, well, it should be in conjunction with other allied health professionals. So they should be seeing a dietitian, um, GP, um, endocrinologist potentially as well. So it will be very much a multidisciplinary approach. So good communication in, in that setting is, is important, um, but also making sure that you're addressing exercise in the way that it needs to be addressed, whether that means that they need to be adjusting their volume, whether they need to be doing specific types of exercises to rehabilitate, especially if they've had a stress fracture, for example. Um, so that's a great resource and I'll attach that one to the show notes as well. Yeah, um, that one is a really good yeah. resource. Um, I like the way that they do it um, in like a red, um, yellow and green light. Yes. So it kind of lets you know at what phase you can maybe continue them exercising safely um, or whether you just need to cut them back because obviously being young athletes, they want to keep going and they don't want to stop. So I think um, just to help inform when you need to say you need to stop or when they can continue on a little bit um, and keep working with you. Yeah, and yep. it actually has a contract at the bottom so that yeah. you can get the individual to sign the contract if that's something that's helpful for them as well. So they're accountable. They're really in charge of their um, of their health and their journey. It's not just you telling them that they need to pull back because quite often they're really young. And they don't, yeah. yeah, so giving them the right support and the tools is, is really helpful. Um, continuing on the trend of, of bone health, that's another really, really big one that we can have uh, well, what we virtually see every day, I, I don't know if it's just me, <laughs> but bone health is virtually, I swear I say bone health like a million times a day. Um, the biggest one in terms of a resource is really the ESSA um, exercise and osteoporosis position statement. That should be always your, your go-to. Um, it has all the information and guidelines that you really need as, as, as a starting point um, to inform evidence-based practice. Um, the other thing that you can be really cognizant of is diet. And I think that's something mm. that we've started to be a bit more proactive about. I know at body track, um, but really exercise can't function alone in the management of bone health. It needs to be not only exercise it needs to be about diet, it needs to be about what medications they're having, if they're having medications. So mm. really holistically looking at that is, is quite important and, it will be most. It will you can, yeah. It will be most common to be to to see in women um, either peri or post menopause, um, which is another big area yeah. that we are knowing are starting to know a lot more about um, about the influence of exercise for assisting with the, man the management of a lot of menopause symptoms. Mm. Remind me again, Shoss, have you done the menopause? Unit? No, no, so that's okay. next semester. So I'll, keep you guys updated. <laughs> I'll get you back when we yeah. when we touch on menopause. When you touch on menopause, um, menopause is quite a tricky one because it it just influences so many different physiological symptoms. It's it, systems. It's not just um, hot flushes and hot flashes. It is quite literally a change to virtually all physiological systems with the absence of estrogen and. So the average age of menopause is 51. So we're very yeah. likely to be seeing a lot of patients who have experiences and need a bit of extra consideration for the exercise. Um, they will typically be most symptomatic in the perimenopause phase. So that, and that actually lasts for 10 years. So if you're seeing anyone over the age of 40, we have to have some considerations in place for managing 
um, menopause effectively um, in terms of where you can find good information about that. Jean Hales has some really good, really good summary and overview. Um, the Women's Health Collective has a great course uh, or webinar as well that provides a lot of great information about the influence of of menopause on our different systems and a little bit more left field um, there's a podcast called the plant proof podcast and they have a specific menopause episode that was really helpful for me to really understand how how in how heavily a menopause affects all of the different aspects of of our body and our, our life and what can actually be done to help assist women there is quite a lot that can be done from a conservative management and they also talk a little bit about hrt which is sometimes comes up because patients hrt gets a bad rap mm. um uh, it was disproven as being a risk factor for or being contributing big contributing factor to breast cancer so there's still a lot of contention around hrt so um, that can be a helpful way to understand a little bit more about that um, as well. Um, touching on my other area of interest, which is oncology, and I'm sure it's mentioned before about ovarian cancer. So female cancers um, will have some unique considerations mm. as well, breast cancer being the biggest one that we are likely to see. Um, we've talked about that quite a bit in some of our other podcasts. If you want to check those out, we talked about cardiovascular health, um, we've talked about um, the different eight, um, stages uh, of the cancer care continuum as well. Nicole's done some great episodes on those, so those are good ones to listen to. Um, in terms of ovarian cancer, there's more research emerging. It is definitely still building. We're not as far along as we are with breast, with breast, as with breast cancer, for example. Um, but on the ESSA, through ESSA, there is a webinar um, or a podcast, I think actually it might be um, as well. You can use your free podcast for the quarter <laughs> for that one. Um, and Shoss, you have an interest in ovarian cancer as well. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I guess um, my interest developed just because um, it was, you know, really underdiagnosed, I guess, in the, and we do see that there is an increase um, in prevalence. And I think um, with that, a lot of women go um, undergo surgery. Um, and so that's a good, ex like a consideration to exercise is just understanding what surgery um, they've been through. Sometimes it could be um, anything up to a full hysterectomy. Um, and obviously that's really going to have an impact on not only the pelvic floor, but um, what exercises you return to. So um, yeah, just really looking in regards to um, how you prescribe exercise safely for women that are undergoing treatment um, and then as you touched on there's obviously concerns with um, you know chemotherapy and radiation and, and the risks and and how you um, prescribe exercise safely within that area but um, yeah just looking also in regards to surgery that's um, great yeah. yeah yeah I guess the last can, um, condition that we will consideration that we wanted to touch on would be um, fertility as well mm. so that's another area that exercise can have a really helpful but also hindering role on as well. So the Women's Health Collective has a couple of great um, webinars on that and I think that's a really great place to, to start. Um, supporting patients through that can be really challenging. Mm. Um, so, yeah, upskilling yourself and uh, making sure that you're aware of what they're going through and supporting them really does make a big difference. Yeah. yeah. I think also just um, looking into exercise and um, like 
post IVF mm. um, and having a look at you know when is it safe to actually start doing exercise um, just there is some good resources I can't remember off the top of my head but um, I'm sure if you just pop it into Google and just have a look there are some resources in regards to at what time you can start exercising where it won't impact um, yeah that procedure at all yeah right. thanks Shaws um, well we've talked about a lot so we might wrap it up there um i just want to thank shosana for coming on and this is her first podcast you've done amazing well done thanks for having me and thanks for listening guys um we'll attach the uh, resources that i mentioned well as many as we can to the um to the show notes and as always keep an eye on the academy facebook page because we always upload as many as much resource uh, resources and research as we can keep an eye out for more episodes and we'll see, you'll hear from us soon yeah talk soon bye, bye. <laughs> thanks for listening to the body track academy podcast if you enjoyed this episode and found something useful you know what to do hit the subscribe button leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out if you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.